Hello everyone and welcome to today's episode of Recovery Talk. As you can hear, I still don't have any good introduction or catchphrase or tune or anything. I just tend to jump straight into it. Uh, so yeah, but maybe one day I'll have this fun tune or, you know, slogan. So last week I managed to turn my cat's um, surgery into a recovery metaphor, basically talking about how he was so mad at me because I needed to take him to the vet and remove his teeth. He really didn't want to go and he didn't understand that what I was doing was actually good for him. And then, you know, him giving me the eyes, I really wanted to just not go to the vet, but then I knew he would suffer. And how that kind of translates to recovery, you know? doing the difficult thing that feels challenging but then getting a long-term gain and just doing it because you have to because if not you're going to suffer the consequences in the same way that if I didn't take my cat to the vet he would be in so much pain and funnily enough the exact same thing happened to me <laughs> uh yeah my teeth <laughs> so just like my cat, you know, mum and son. Uh, yeah, I have my teeth are so bad. I don't know if it is the eating disorder or what it is. I always have really bad teeth, but eating disorder worsened it a lot. Um, and then now I had to go to the dentist and I hate the dentist as much as my cat. Like, I hate it. Not because of the pain. I'm just so severely claustrophobic that the thought of being strapped into that chair just makes me cry, right? Uh, so I knew that I needed to go to the dentist because my wisdom teeth was killing me, right? And I can reassure you that despite that pain, I did not want to go to the dentist. But I still did it because I knew I had to. This translates to recovery. I know I keep using the dentist metaphor all the time, especially if you're someone who followed me for some time and or maybe you're a client, you, you know that I use this metaphor. Sometimes recovery is like going to the dentist. You do it even though you don't want to. You do it for your future self. You do it because you have to. But it was just funny because I was in literally this exact same situation and I can't even begin to tell you how close I was to just not going to the dentist and just hoping the pain ended by itself. But I'm so glad that I did go, right? Because that feeling afterwards when you're like, oh yeah, I did it. I sorted it. Okay, actually, I haven't fully sorted it. I'm going to the dentist again in a week. Um, but yeah, anyways, guys, do the difficult thing even though you don't want to. That was basically the metaphor of the story. And imagine if if we treated going to the dentist like how we often treat recovery, that you only went to the dentist when you really wanted to and when you really felt motivated to go to the dentist. We would, none of us would have teeth, right? We would all be toothless like my cat. Oh, and just like a heads up, if someone thinks I'm neglecting my cat because he's toothless, that's not the case. He actually has like a disease, like a tooth disease. Um, so yeah, just <laughs> I want you to think I'm neglecting him. He is literally being the most, he's the most spoiled cat ever. When I'm in Norella, I'm sleep in my bed and he gets the best food and he gets so much cuddles. He's very well, but he has a tooth disease, unfortunately. So today I'm going to talk about a phase in recovery that some people reach, especially when they go for it in terms of, you know, going for all in recovery, properly increasing their intake, resting, committing to recovery. There is this phase that a lot of people reach. And I see this especially among clients and also people who are, you know, doing courses, etc. people who are like going all in and going for it, you know, stepping out of quasi recovery. And I tend to just refer to this phase as like the comfort zone, you know, the recovery comfort zone. 
So let me just explain a little bit about what it is, why it happens, and then eventually also how to push out of it. So basically the recovery comfort zone is when someone reach a point in their recovery where things become very comfortable and letting go of recovery becomes quite difficult because first you have the thing of letting go of the eating disorder, which is also very difficult, letting go of the restrictive, damaging, harmful behaviors. But then actually letting go of recovery can sometimes also be very challenging. So the way this usually goes down is someone starts recovery, right? And they are, you know, freaking out and everything is scary the weight gain might be very rapid in the beginning and that feels out of control and they might be eating quite little in the beginning but they're still gaining weight and they're feeling overwhelmed but then despite all of this fear despite all of these urges they manage to push through and keep increasing their intake and keep resting and keep committing to weight restoration. So basically, they are doing the things that feel wrong until they feel right. And then the person who in early recovery was freaking out and just feeling out of control reach a point where the weight gain slows down drastically or it might even completely like plateau and stabilize. And this happens despite them not being weight restored at their set point weight range yet. And the person who might have had extreme hunger noticed that their hunger starts to stabilize. And then the person who was gaining a lot of weight in early recovery despite eating very little is now eating thousands of calories and are eating, either gaining very slowly or not gaining at all. Basically, some people in this uh, space in recovery reach what we call hypermetabolism, where basically thousands and thousands of calories are needed to gain a sufficient amount of weight. Nobody thinks this will happen to them. People always think, oh, it's not going to happen to me. And then it happens to them. I have this thing with hypermetabolism so often with course participants and clients because they're often the ones who actually do fully commit to, you know, increasing, resting, gaining all of these things. And then it happens to them. They're like, I'm eating 4,000 calories. My, my scale is barely moving and I know I need to gain weight. Like, what is going on? And I'm just like, yeah, I told you that would happen. <laughs> because when I tell them in the beginning uh, that, hey, you need to increase your intake and you're not going to gain forever, you might even experience that your weight stalls out and you need a lot of calories to gain. They never believe me. And then they, we kind of laugh about it a little bit later down, down the lane <laughs> because then it's like, oh, wait. You were right, Amalia, you were right. <laughs> and this is not to be like, oh, gotcha. But it's just fascinating to see how the eating disorder is never thinks it's going to happen to you. And then it does. So yeah, imagine this. You're at a point where you, you know, the weight gain has slowed down. You're eating a lot, but you're gaining slowly or nothing despite eating thousands of calories, you're resting, you notice that a lot of the urges to engage in disordered behaviors have uh, slowed down, you've challenged a lot of fear foods, and you're just sort of there, you know, things are comfortable because the weight is not moving up too much too fast, you feel, and, you know, you're eating quite a lot, but, 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 important detail, you're not really recovered. 
You are staying in this recovery comfort zone where the urges is not necessarily to engage in disordered behaviors. That might come and go, but it's not like a big thing like, oh my God, am I going to restrict today? Am I going to purge today? Am I going to overexercise today? That is not like a big thing. It's because you are committed and staying in recovery, but also you're terrified of letting go of recovery. Very often people in this stage will be either like on a meal plan or have some kind of very like strict like meal schedule. Uh, And then the thought of going outside of that can be quite daunting. Or they might know that they should probably increase their intake to speed up the weight gain because the weight gain is either have stopped or it's just going very, very slowly. But it feels so scary to push it even further, uh, especially because often these people who are in this stage, they might not feel that hunger anymore. The extreme hunger might have gone away at this point. Because there is this one thing that I've noticed with people eating disorders that I feel is not that often spoken about. And that is this thing that eating, unless you are really, really hungry, is seen as a waste of eating, like unnecessary. But this is just not the case at all because recovery, especially if you go for like all in recovery, will include having to eat despite being full and will include having to push, push, push. And this can just feel so wrong, especially when we talk about, you know, intuitive eating, for instance, like that you eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full, blah, blah, blah. And intuitive eating is in itself a very good thing. It's how, you know, that should be the, the final goal. But it's also important to say that eating is not always intuitive. And in recovery, relying on intuitive eating can keep you quite stuck. If you are experiencing extreme hunger and just want to eat all the time, yeah, that's great. Then you can, you know, just go for it. But if you are someone who experienced early fullness and you notice that your weight has just completely stalled out, but you're eating quite a lot, but, you know, you actually need to keep pushing and keep eating beyond the point of fullness. And I know some of you might think, yeah, but why do I need food when I'm full? Like, that doesn't make any sense. If I needed food, I'd be hungry. And yes, that's usually the case. But the thing is that when you're in recovery, there are certain things happening on a biological uh, scale that kind of (laughs) makes this uh, a little bit challenging. So we have the hormone leptin, and leptin regulates body weight and also hunger. This hormone tends to normalize a little bit too soon in recovery. It is important to say that the leptin levels only normalize if you are letting it normalize. If you're someone who is going into recovery, but you're actually restricting, under eating, exercising, engaging in compensatory behaviors of any sort, your leptin levels are not going to normalize. Leptin levels normalize when you are giving yourself sufficient food rest and weight restoration. But the thing is that they normalize a little bit too quick. And this is why you see people eating thousands of calories and stuffing themselves with food and just their weight is just not really going up or people experiencing that they're not really hungry for the amount needed to make them restore weight to a sufficient amount. And this can so often be misinterpreted as, oh, I'm at my set point now or, oh, I I mean, I'm intuitively eating, but if you're staying stuck, then that's not really (laughs) recovery, right? That is just being stuck in the recovery comfort zone rather than being stuck in the eating disorder. But the thing that is important to notice, to know that is that the eating disorder actually loves the recovery comfort zone because it kind of allows it to stay a little bit, you know, because eating disorder likes rigidity. It likes predictability. It doesn't want you to fully let go. So the eating disorder had given up on getting you to engage in disordered behavior. So now it's kind of like, okay, 
we'll make a deal. We'll just stay in this comfortable recovery stage where you're still very obsessed about what you eat and you're still not fully free and you're still quite rigid, but you know, and you'll know you're in this stage because the thought of actually challenging it is giving you anxiety. The thought of fully letting go is making you stressed out. If the thought of fully letting go and fully, you know, pushing yourself is making you feel uncomfortable, then chances are you're not maintaining your set point weight and intuitively eating, right? Because if you are someone who is in recovery and your weight has stalled at like quite a low number despite eating quite a lot, no, that does not mean that that is your set point weight, okay? It does not. If so, I would have been, (laughs) because my weight stalled at quite a low number despite eating a lot because my metabolism sped up so much. If I had just been like, okay, well, this is just my set point weight. I'm just naturally underweight. Okay, fine. I would not have been recovered. And I think what people don't fully realize is that weight restoration actually has cognitive benefits. A lot of time people think that you need talking therapy to get rid of every all the psychological parts of an eating disorder, like for instance, poor body image. But what we see is that actually restoring to your set point weight range has a lot of cognitive benefits in terms of, for instance, improved body image. And this is something people don't understand until they experience it because they're like, wait, I feel awful with my body right now and I'm supposed to gain weight. I'm just going to feel worse. Oh my God, I'm just going to be, you know, just as sick, just in a different body. I hear what you're saying, but actually if you are going all in and, you know, restoring to your set point weight range, there will be cognitive benefits of that. I can't even begin to tell how many times I've had a client who starts coaching with me, right? And they are just, their body image is not great and they're just kind of freaking out and they're kind of expecting that body image is going to be the topic we talk about every single week and something we have to like really go deep in. But then as they actually start recovery and not necessarily when they start recovery, because when you start recovery, it can get worse before better, right? But, but then as some time in recovery goes and I ask them about their body image and they're just like, oh, I haven't really thought about it that much because the weight restoration itself and the refeeding of, you know, getting some nutrition to the brain actually improved the body image because the body dysmorphia is closely tied to being underweight and slash or undernourished. And I wish this was spoken more about because I think if more people knew this, they would be more motivated to also gain weight and refeed. Because very often what holds people back from that, you know, from refeeding and regaining weight is the fear that the body image is just going to worsen. And this is especially often confirmed in the beginning because it does tend to get worse before better. But if people actually knew that, hey, actually fully refeeding yourself and fully restoring your weight will actually tend to normalize your body image or improve it. Not saying that you're going to love your body when you're recovered, but it's more this obsessive, like this body, body dysmorphia tend to lessen with full weight restoration and refeeding. And I know I keep referring to the Minnesota starvation study quite a lot, but it's very interesting because there you saw the same thing with the men who were in that study is that when they were undernourished and underweight, their body image took a hit. And then when they started refeeding, they started complaining that they felt bad about their bodies when they were gaining weight, despite never having had an eating disorder in the past. They now felt uncomfortable with the weight gain. But then as they fully, you know, weight restored and refed, their body image improved and normalized. In other words, restriction and being under your set point weight actually tends to induce or worsen body dysmorphia. 
Okay, now we went a little bit off topic, but I thought that was important to, you know, talk about. And I hope that could help some people as well. So anyways, back to the comfort zone. So what do you do when you are in the comfort zone where you are eating quite a lot? You're not restricting, you're not engaging in, you know, disordered behaviors. And, you know, your weight is either stalled out or it's just going up very, very slowly. What do you do? And the answer is... You do everything that feels wrong. Does it feel wrong to have an extra dinner portion when you're full? Do that. Does it feel wrong to push the weight up even further and faster? You do that. You have to eat more and you have to very actively target what makes you uncomfortable. When working with clients who are in this phase, I actually tend to really <laughs> almost interrogate them about what are your fears, what makes you feel uncomfortable, and sometimes even get people to write down a list of everything, every like behavior or thing that makes them feel uncomfortable. And then instead of it usually in early recovery, you know, the things will be such as, oh, eating, you know, this and that food. You know, eating cake, for instance, could be like a fear thing. But then when someone is in the in the comfort zone, then eating cake might be easy. But then if I ask them, okay, what if you ate cake when you didn't want cake? And then they're freaking out by the thought of that because, oh, that's a waste, right? And then I say, hey, that's exactly what you need to do. Because the truth is, when you are fully recovered, having cake despite you know not really really strongly craving it or just eating something despite not being ravenously hungry is actually a normal part of life and it shouldn't be anxiety inducing right now if i'm full and i still eat i mean it's not always the most if i were to have like a double meal it wouldn't necessarily be what i felt like doing but it wouldn't give me anxiety it wouldn't make me feel shame or guilt it would just be kind of like just like when you drink a lot of water when you're not really thirsty it's kind of like mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's always this fear, you know, when I talk about like pushing up weight, there's always this fear like, oh, but what if I push up the weight too high in recovery? You know, what if, for instance, what if my set point weight is naturally very low? Like what if I, by pushing up the weight and, you know, force feeding myself, I'm making myself gain an unnatural amount of weight. Help! And I think the first thing to kind of target here is why is weight gain and being at a higher weight seen as something negative and seen as like defeat? That is the first thing to kind of unpack here because I you know, I sometimes hear from people treat eating disorders and I think this is such an unfortunate thing that they kind of say like, oh, we'll keep you at the lowest healthy weight possible. But I don't really think that is a healthy approach because it implies that being at a lower weight is, is the best, right? And that's not really how I work. That's not really my logic. But I know how eating disorder works, so let me just answer that. If you have a natural BMI set point range around 20, which is quite low, and most people are above that, but let's just say that is the case for you, right? And then in recovery, you are pushing the weight up to a BMI of, let's say, 22, right? Because of how our weight is regulated, because of how things work, if your natural BMI is 20, you will gradually taper down to that. An overshot is not only beneficial in recovery, it also is absolutely necessary for a lot of people. So if you are in recovery and you're pushing your weight up to a little bit above your set point weight range, you're naturally going to taper down. It's important to say naturally taper down, not intentionally trying to restrict to reach a lower weight because, you know, that's not going to, that, that's not how we roll, right? <laughs> and also, ironically, if you do start restricting um, 
the body might sometimes prevent you from actually reaching your nat natural set point weight. So this is why also you see a lot of people who are chronically yo-yo dieting, who tend to end up at a higher weight than what they started with because the body's in constant famine mode. But in short, you should stop being so worried about, oh, but what if I enter recovery and I push up my weight when I'm not hungry and I gain to more weight than I need? First of all, gaining weight is not a bad thing. So take out the moral, you know, moral values you put on it. And second of all, if you do, you're naturally going to end up at your set point weight range anyways with time. And yes, this also goes the other way around. You know, if you are, let's imagine you go into treatment for an eating disorder, like inpatient, and they release you when you reach a certain BMI. And if your natural set point weight range is higher, you're not really going to feel fully recovered until you reach that range. And therefore, you know, eating and gaining might still be necessary even after you are officially, you know, discharged or officially weight restored. And I think this is where a lot of people freak out because they feel like they're doing something wrong. They feel like it's never going to stop and then they fall back. You need to trust your body here, right? And I know this can be a little bit confusing because I say trust your body, intuitive eating, blah, blah, blah. But I also say that, yes, there is also a point in recovery where your leptin levels are increasing too early and you know you have the early fullness and you have to actually push yourself to eat more. I know this can be confusing and I know that there is not always like a very good, you know, clear cut answer here, but I'm just trying to show some indicators about where you are. And I think also, you know, deep within what stage you're at. And I always encourage people and they are in recovery don't think minimums all the time, right? Because I think a lot of people are like, okay, what is the absolute minimum healthy weight I can gain to? And then, you know, I'm, I'm done, I'm out. That is not really going to help you. That is not really going to help you at all. It's really going to suit the eating disorder. And because it really suits the eating disorder, you should think, what can I do that upsets the eating disorder and then do that? So overall, be honest with yourself with what phase you're in. If you find yourself stuck in the comfort zone of recovery, I mean, first of all, congratulations, because you have very clearly put in a lot of work to get there in the first place. You know, you have kept doing what felt wrong. And now you're kind of harvesting the benefits in terms of, you know, <laughs> you get comfort instead of panic, right? But still, it's so important that to know that you didn't come this far just to come this far. Breaking out of recovery is so important. Letting go of recovery is so important because I know recovery can become an identity, can become a form of predictability and become a mission. And then you're thinking, oh my God, what, what do I do when I'm done with this, right? So yeah, doing everything that your comfort zone don't want you to do. And also one thing is try also think who am I outside of my eating disorder and also how who am I outside of recovery think of things that you can do or focus on that are non-recovered related this might be the point where a lot of people for instance if they have a recovery Instagram might choose to step a little bit away from that or a time where a lot of people might take up new activities and you know to you know rediscover themselves don't feel any rush with having to fill up your life with meaning right off the bat, you know, like it happens gradually. You might feel a little bit of an emptiness at times, you know, with the thought of letting go of recovery because it is quite like an all-compassing thing. But trust that as you keep going, you will gradually fill up your life with a lot of meaning that has nothing to do about how many slices of bread you're going to have for breakfast. Instead, you're going to come to a point where you just grab some slices of bread on your way to doing other things. That is the goal. And now to a listener question. So this question is about chew and spit. 
It is a bit more of a topic request and I have taken notes to that. If anyone would like to me to do an episode on chew and spit, do let me know, slide into my DMs and let's recover uh, because I do think that this is something that a lot of people struggle with but it's not really spoken that much about due to shame etc. So the person is asking if I could talk about chewing and spitting disorder, how to understand it and how to overcome it. And as I don't have that much time, I'm going to answer very quickly, but I will note it down for further future episodes. So the thing to know is that I categorize spitting, chewing and spitting, I actually categorize it as purging, like a form of purging and a form of compensatory behavior. And the reason why I say this is because when you know that, you know that it is something that I'm already speaking about. When I talk about purging, whether you swallow the food and then make yourself throw up, or whether you are chewing the food and spitting it out before swallowing, I still think of it as purging. Chewing and spitting is very harmful, and for quite a few reasons. So one of them is that basically when you are chewing uh, the body thinks it's going to get food right so it starts preparing itself of getting the food and then nothing happens so it's really really bad for the body for the digestive system for the blood sugar etc etc it also is really bad for the teeth i think a lot of people think that oh it's just harmless you know you're just spitting out food no it is not harmless at all and also a big reason why it's not harmless is because It is eating disorder behavior. Anything that is an eating disorder behavior is harmful, okay? So view the spitting as a form of purging. And as you do that, you're able to tackle it because then you have identified it for what it is. And it is a form of purging. It is a way to kind of rid yourself of calories and food when you are eating, right? That's the definition of purging, at least what definition that I'm using. So overall, it wrecks absolute havoc on your digestive system, on your blood sugar, on your hunger, fullness levels, everything. It is messing you up. It is not harmless at all. The urges to chew and spit implies that there is undernourishment, you know, that you are wanting food, but you're not allowing yourself to eat it. If you're someone who's fully nourished and fully at your set point weight range, then you're not really going to feel like obsessively chewing food and spitting it out, right? So take it as a sign that you need to eat more and you need to increase your intake and allow the food to stay down. Once you're doing that, you're going to notice that the urges to chew and spit is really going to lessen in the same way that someone who is increasing their intake, they experience that the urges to binge and purge will also lessen. And it's important to see the spitting as the problem rather than the eating because I know a lot of people who do chew and spit, they might have these so-called binges where they eat a lot, eat very secrecy, and then they spit it out, right? And then they think, oh, but if I'm not spitting, I'm just going to eat all this food and I'm going to lose control, blah, 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 blah. No, you are going to feel satisfied with eating if you allow yourself to actually eat. But when you are just you know, giving yourself the taste of it, but you're not actually giving your body what it needs, then, you know, your body's just going to send you more signals to eat, eat, and you're going to not satisfy it because you're spitting out the food, right? So trust the process, treat it in the same way that I, you know, when I talk about bulimia, when I talk about binge purge, you need to treat it in the same way. You need to treat it for what it is, and that is undernourishment. You need to eat more and you need to allow yourself to eat the food and not spit it out. Don't worry so much about the eating sessions per se in terms of, you know, the so-called binges. 
worry about the compensatory behavior and target the compensatory behavior rather than the eating. And yes, for some people, this might mean a period of, you know, reactive hunger and just feeling a little bit out of control and like, oh my God, I'm going to develop binge eating disorder. You're not. I promise you, you're not. But you have to let go of the compensatory behavior. The episode is becoming a bit long, so I can't talk too much more about it. But if this is a topic that people want me to talk more about, then do let me know. That was it for this week, guys. And if you're enjoying this podcast, let me know. Let people know, you know. If you find this helpful, then chances are maybe someone else will find it helpful as well. I get very happy when I see you guys, you know, either sending me a DM or uh, sharing in your stories about the podcast, spreading the word. That really also helps me as a creator. So I do really appreciate that. Thank you to everyone for your support. And do something that makes you uncomfortable today, okay? Whether you are in the comfort zone or whether you are shit scared in recovery, do something that makes you uncomfortable today and tomorrow and until it doesn't make you uncomfortable anymore.